Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. We're going to continue this series uh, that we started last week called Empowered. And I told you last week, we're doing this series all through this month, uh, along with hundreds of other vineyard churches all across the country, that this Empowered series, we actually do believe that the Spirit of God wants to do something powerfully in our midst. And so last week began that as we talked about what it means to be filled with or overwhelmed by or immersed or baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we said that this is a thing that you can experience over and over and over and over again. That as followers of Jesus, that's what we do. We experience this again and again and again. And what I'm going to talk about today is spiritual gifts. Now, when I say that, what I know happens all across the room is people break into these little pockets Because the idea of spiritual gifts is like maybe one of the more divisive things in the church, right? Everybody has their own idea about spiritual gifts. And so for some of you, you would say, well, you know, I grew up in in understanding that spiritual gifts are not a thing anymore. That, you know, that ended at the end of uh, some arbitrary place, like whether it be uh, the, the apostles all died and so spiritual gifts ended, or the, we have the whole of Scripture and so spiritual gifts are no longer necessary. But that some space and some time we've decided that maybe spiritual gifts aren't a thing anymore. And so for some of you, when I say spiritual gifts... It comes as a confrontation, and internally you get stirred. For others of you, you would say, well, I've never really had experience of spiritual gifts. I'm a little bit scared. That's what the crazy people do. I'm more sane, and I'm, you know, when I think about my Christian faith, it's more, it's stable. It's not crazy like the spiritual gifts people. And so for you, when I say spiritual gifts, what happens in you is you go, I don't know, I, you know, that's... That's not for me. I don't really want... It's an optional extra. Yeah, I know it's in the book, but, you know, we can do it without it. For some of you, you're like, I've never really heard any teaching about spiritual gifts. It's like, I've never really explored it. I don't know anything about it. And so for you, this topic may be something that's, that's exciting to think about. Spiritual gifts. For others of you, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. And you're like, this is an odd thing that you're talking about, spiritual gifts. I don't know, this doesn't make any sense to me. And that's okay. If that's where you are, that's okay. But what I want you to know, regardless of where you are today, what I want you to know is that the Spirit of God distributes gifts for the sake of accomplishing the ministry of Jesus. That's the point today. The Spirit of God distributes gifts to accomplish the ministry of Jesus. And so what I'm calling this message today is gifted for a purpose. Let's pray and invite God to come and move among us, and then we'll look at Scripture. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I acknowledge that this could be a very divisive topic. And I acknowledge, Lord, that there's all kinds of thoughts In everyone around here, there's all kinds of thoughts inside of me, Lord, but we want to hear a word from you. 
And so today, Jesus, we submit ourselves to you. God, I ask that by your spirit, you would come and fill me. I I pray, Lord, that the, the words that I speak would be inspired by you, that you you would give me your words, God, and that I would speak clearly. And I pray, God, that you would pour out gifts on these people. Come and have your way. We invite you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to look today at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And 1 Corinthians, for those of you who don't know, is a letter written by Paul, the apostle. And the letter is written to a church in Corinth that has all kinds of problems. If you have never done so, I would encourage you to read the letter, 1 Corinthians, from start to finish in one sitting. And what you'll discover is that church was really messed up. There's all kinds of a mess. And honestly, if you want to interpret and understand how I think Uh, Paul would address the church in America. 1 Corinthians is a great place to start. There's all kinds of messy stuff that Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians. And so he writes this letter to, in one part, to address, when we get to chapter 12, to address a misuse or a misunderstanding of spiritual gifts. Paul writes this letter and he's he's addressing the, the church in Corinth because what they had believed was that those who spoke in tongues were the most spiritually above everyone else. That if you didn't speak in tongues, somehow you were inferior. And so Paul's like, that's not what that means. What they they were arguing is there are several classes of people. There are those who speak in tongues who are further along. They're more spiritual. And there are the rest of you who don't, who are inferior. And I would imagine when I say that, Some of you have thoughts in your head about what that means, because I think that translates to now. That there is is this idea that there are more spiritual and less spiritual people. If you're unfamiliar with this term called uh, tongues, the better word would be languages. And so the reason that, that Paul is addressing these people, the reason the people in Corinth believe that you're, you're further along spiritually if you speak in languages, tongues, is because the languages were angelic languages. And so they reasoned that if I speak in an angelic language, the language of heaven, then clearly I am further along than you who doesn't do that. This was the argument that they made. And so Paul is confronting This sort of like hierarchy that gets created. He's in a confrontational mode. And so by the time you get to 1 Corinthians 12, you have to read this sort of like in an angry tone. Which is interesting for all of you who had 1 Corinthians 13 read at your weddings. You all know that's not actually about getting married, right? You know that 1 Corinthians 13 is about the use of spiritual gifts. So by the time Paul shows up in chapter 12, he's irritated. He's angry, he's upset about how they're creating divisions in the church based on this gift of tongues. So you have to read it in this like impassioned, and I'll try to read it in a very impassioned way while at the same time being able to be understood. But the way that you need to understand about 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is Paul is not creating an extensive teaching on spiritual gifts. This is not like, 
Paul outlining this is how spiritual gifts always work, and this is all the, the ones that have. This is a confrontation of a misuse. Paul's not laying out some long teaching about spiritual gifts, but most of the time, when you study this passage or when you've heard it preached or you read it, that's what we think is happening, right? We get to 1 Corinthians 12 and we're like, well, this is where Paul is teaching on spiritual gifts. No, he's confronting a misuse of spiritual gifts. Okay, so that's, that's the tone of what we're going to read today. So 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 1, here's what we read. I'm going to try to be sarcastic. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or another, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Is that enough passion for you? I try really hard to capture the Man, I just channeled the inner Paul or whatever, right? Now, I said this a little bit before, but something you need to understand is Paul never provides a comprehensive teaching about spiritual gifts. Nowhere in any of Paul's letters does he sort of teach a spiritual gifts 101 class. Or does he give some sort of like extensive discover your gifts experience. Nowhere in Paul does he do this. Everywhere, I mean, if you, if you read here in 1 Corinthians, you read in Romans, there's, it's a confrontation of misuse. It's a challenging of a misunderstanding. Or and then you get to Ephesians, and you're like, well, those don't really even feel like gifts that he's talking about. They feel more like jobs or roles. Everywhere that Paul addresses spiritual gifts, he doesn't do so to lay a foundation. He does so in more of a pruning way, like I'm cutting off the things that have gone wrong, or I'm training the vine to follow the correct way. So he never provides the foundational teaching. The reason I need you to know this is because it points to the fact that there is a more foundational teaching on spiritual gifts. There's a more base level understanding of spiritual gifts than what Paul tells you. You have to understand this. Because if you don't, it'll get twisted. The foundational teaching is what we talked about last week. Every expression of spiritual gifts is some extension of the gift that is the Holy Spirit. If you get it twisted, if you look at Paul first and you read Paul and you say, well, these are all the spiritual gifts, which ones do I have? 
Which ones don't I have? Let me take an assessment, sit down and mark them on a chart of paper and we'll get it all figured out and this is the one that I've gotten. You get it backwards. You see, Jesus says that as a follower of Jesus, you need the gift of the Holy Spirit to do the things that you're called to do. That's why we talked about last week, being filled, being immersed, being baptized in the Holy Spirit. That everything Jesus asks you to do, you have to be filled with the Spirit to do. That's the foundational teaching, that these individual instances are something beyond that. They're not the foundational teaching. You must be filled with the Holy Spirit to do the things that Jesus calls you to do. And can I just say... Everywhere in every ministry that you engage in requires this. If you're going to stand up and preach a message, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit for it to have the impact that Jesus calls for. If you're going to pray for healing of somebody's body, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit in order for the healing to happen. If you're going to give a prophetic word to someone, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit to have the mind of God to speak the words of God. If you're going to run a food pantry in Jesus' name, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit for it to have the impact that Jesus calls you to have. If you're going to care for the immigrant, a thing Jesus cares about, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit to be able to do it. Do you see this? Everything Jesus asks you to do, like we talked about last week, requires you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. For far too long, the church has been comfortable just doing things in our own power, and we can't figure out why it doesn't make a difference in the community around us. We just have people who teach but don't care about being filled with the Holy Spirit before they speak the words of God. And we just assume it'll work. I don't know if you've ever actually tried to lay hands on and pray for some healing for someone without being filled with the Holy Spirit, but it's a really depressing endeavor. Anybody ever try to do that? Have you ever like been like, well, I, this person needs to be healed. I don't, presence of God, I don't know. I have no power to make you better, right? Some, so many of what gets billed as like prophetic words are not empowered by the Spirit. It's just somebody's good thoughts. And whatever else that does for us, it doesn't change the world around us. All your best thoughts don't compare to the mind and heart of Jesus. You must be filled with the Holy Spirit to do anything and everything Jesus asks you to do. This is the foundational teaching. And as I said, if you don't get this part, when you get to Paul talking about spiritual gifts, you're going to get tripped up. Right? If you've ever read through all of the various places where Paul talks about spiritual gifts, what happens? He makes all of these lists, right? Have you ever sat down with these lists? They're not the same list, which is confusing, right? If these are the spiritual gifts, what are those? Which one's the real gift list? And what we end up doing is we compile all the lists, right? We take all the places that Paul has talked about gifts, we throw them all on a list, and we say, this must be the entirety of the spiritual gifts, And we compile a test and we make a a gifts test, right? Anybody ever take a gifts test? I'm not trying to like shame you. You take a gifts test and you go, well, which one of these do I have, right? And it's more a personality assessment than it is a gifts test. It's like this is the ways that I have done things in the church before. 
And what always happens with those gift tests, by and large, unless you've been pressing into spiritual gifts at all, is everybody lands with the gift of administration or service or helps, right? Because that's as far as people have really pressed into. So the gifts tests that we take are really just an evaluation of the things we've experienced before. But it's based on a, a twisted understanding. We've put Paul in front of Jesus. We have to talk about gifts from the perspective of we have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's how the New Testament talks about spiritual gifts. They're not primarily about you and your place in the world or in the kingdom. Do you know that? Spiritual gifts are not about finding your role and finding your place. Oh, this is the place I occupy. Everybody else, get out of the way. I'm a drummer. It's my spiritual gift is drumming. It's not, by the way. If you've heard me drum, it's totally not my gift. My kid is better than I am. So what are spiritual gifts for? The first thing I want you to see is spiritual gifts exist to glorify Jesus. They're not about you. They're about glorifying Jesus. Look again at verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, when he goes about correcting the, the misuse by the Corinthians, he begins by saying that every manifestation of the Spirit exists to point to Jesus. He says every time that one speaks by the Holy Spirit, they can say Jesus is Lord. Now, this phrase doesn't carry the same import to us in 2023 that it would have in the first century. It seems pretty easy to anybody could say, well, Jesus is Lord, because for most of us, what this means is, well, you know, I, Jesus is my Savior. I'm a Christian, so Jesus is Lord. But that's not the same impact that it had in the first century. In the first century... What was declared is Caesar is Lord. If you were in the Roman Empire, the declaration is Caesar is Lord. Everything about my life exists to demonstrate the fact that Caesar is the king, that we live life pointed toward the king who is Caesar, that everything about the way we go about ourselves points toward Caesar as the king. And then these people came along who started saying, Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is. Can you imagine, regardless of which political persuasion you have, pick your president. I mean, I know some of you don't like the one now and some of you don't like the one before. Some of you won't like the next one. Pick your president. Imagine going to the White House and saying, you are not the president Jesus is. It's a confrontation. We miss that because we think Jesus is Lord is a religious statement. That's not what it is. It's a confrontation saying, yes, I know that you're running the government this way, but there is a bigger government and a bigger king than you. Jesus is the king, not you. The only reason you still exist is because Jesus hasn't wiped out your kingdom. That's the confrontation of saying Jesus is Lord. And what Paul says is it requires the Spirit of God to stand in the place where all the powers are arrayed against you and say, you are not in charge, Jesus is. 
And Paul says this is the context for spiritual gifts. Every bit of spiritual gifts should testify that Jesus is the king. And when Jesus is the king, what happens? Healing happens. The dead are raised. The demonized are set free. That's what it looks like when Jesus is king. And so spiritual gifts testify and point to the kingship of Jesus. That's the point of spiritual gifts. That's the point of saying Jesus is Lord. And so everything Jesus calls the disciples to do, like we talked about last week, requires the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish. If you are going to stand in this city and declare with everything that you do that Jesus is the king, that there is a higher authority than everything. I mean, there's yard signs everywhere, right? Everybody's trying to run to get a little bit of power, and we're going to vote and all that nonsense, right? There's a larger authority, and his name is Jesus. Let me demonstrate to you the kingdom that Jesus brings. If you're going to stand in a place and make that same kind of confrontation, you have to back up that act. And Jesus says, you need the power of the Spirit to back that up. You can't say Jesus is king and then never pray for healing for anyone. You can't say Jesus is king and then never speak the words of Jesus into a space. It requires the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to do the things that God has called us to do. Do you see that? And every conversation about spiritual gifts is oriented to glorify Jesus as the true king. Here's why I think it matters that you know that. There's at least two things that I think this corrects, two errors. The first one is spiritual gifts as marks of maturity. Right, a lot of times we think of spiritual gifts as like, well, you must be more mature because you can prophesy or you can pray for healing or speak in tongues. This is what the, the Corinthians were doing, right? They were saying, well, I'm more mature, I'm further along, I'm more spiritual than you, but if the gifts of the Spirit are pointed at King Jesus, then it takes away this idea of spiritual maturity, you see, because the Spirit gives gifts to everyone. Everyone who follows Jesus, the Spirit of God, can give gifts to. And he's, like, see, he's kind of crazy, He's a little bit crazy. You see, I don't hand my kid a chainsaw because my kid will cut his arm off and his foot off, right? I don't give a gift of a chainsaw to my child, and yet God gives gifts like chainsaws to all of you who follow Jesus. God doesn't say, well, you know, you get the gift of service for a little while. That'll make you, you know, to, to wade your way in, get a little mature, make sure you're not going to, like, cut your leg off, you know, you get the gift of helps. You get the gift of service and administration, all the things that can't hurt anybody. And once you grow up a little bit, we'll give you a gift of prophecy and we'll see how you handle that. And then maybe a little bit further, we'll give you a gift of deliverance. You can try to cast some demons out. We'll see how you handle There's not like a graduation of gifts. Do you know that? God is crazy in that way. He gives gifts to all of his children. Some of us, myself, I wouldn't entrust with some of the gifts God gives me. I mean, all of you are more mature, but I'll grow up one day. But God gives all of the gifts to all of his children. And what that means is it's not based on maturity. 
So much of the trouble that we've gotten ourselves in the church is we equate the two, don't we? Haven't you watched this? Somebody prays for healing and somebody sort of like a, a number of times in a row they get a healing ministry and people are like, wow, you're amazing. You must be so mature because you're like all these people keep getting healed. And then we put them on a platform and what happens? Their lives spiral out of control. And we go, what happened? He was so mature. No, he wasn't. He was a recipient of the extravagant grace of Jesus. He hadn't grown up into it at all. Right? Or, or you see these people, right, who, who God graces with a gift to, to provide an exhortation from Scripture that just has power on it, right? You've seen these people. They read the Bible, something that God speaks to them, and they say it, and you're like, whoa, that was an amazing message. And so we make those people pastors because they had a word of exhortation that was powerful, and then we can't figure out why they're still doing all the things immature Christians do. I'll tell you why, because gifts... And maturity are not the same thing. Does that make sense to you? It's important that we get that. That's the first error that I think it corrects. The second one I think it corrects is that spiritual gifts are just a way to help out around the church. Have you seen this one? You, if you take a spiritual gifts test and you've never done anything with spiritual gifts, what will likely come out is either the spiritual gift of the person you spend the most time with. So I'll tell you a quick story about that so I can make the point. I had this small group in Columbus before we moved here. And the small group was 20, 25 people. It's not really a small group. It's a small church. Um, and so this was at a time where I thought spiritual gifts assessments would be really, 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 really helpful. So I had our whole small group do a spiritual gifts assessment. Do you know what everybody's came out as? Everybody in our group had the spiritual gift of leadership. Like four of you get why that's funny. Have you ever followed people who don't have a gift of leadership? It's a train wreck, right? It's a mess. And have you ever thought about how few people actually have a gift of leadership? So the odds that I have 25 people sitting around a table who all have the gift of leadership is stunning. By the time we got to about the eighth person, I was like, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Tell me what the second one you have is. I realized that what happens is it ends up, you end up being like the composite, your gifts assessment comes out as like this composite of the leaders that you follow. If you follow somebody who's really prophetic, there's some sort of sense where like, well, we all must be prophetic then. And prophecy will come out high. If you don't have that, what comes out in most spiritual gifts assessment is, is all of us have this gift of helps and this gift, gift of service and this gift of administration, Right? And so we end up thinking, well, this must be spiritual gifts are really how we get things done around the building, right? Like all of you who have the spiritual gift of service, I need you to cut the grass, I need you to clean the bathrooms, you know, we need to trim the bushes and, you know, the gift of helps, you just help hold the ladder while somebody goes up and patches up the roof, right? And so spiritual gifts end up being this way that we accomplish managing the building, and meanwhile, the person who has the spiritual gift of teaching and the spiritual gift of healing and the spiritual gift of prophecy, these people don't have to do the menial tasks because they have a different spiritual gift. Don't you see this? Do you see this in churches? You see this all the time, right? This is how we get things done. So since I'm up here on a Sunday morning, that means I never have to cut the grass. Right? Wrong. That's wrong. You're supposed to say no. That's, that's wrong. No. All of us can cut the grass. Do you know that? 
It's not a spiritual gift to take care of the building. It's really more a matter of whether or not you're, like, willing to serve other people. Like, it has more to do with your upbringing and how, like, how trained you were in helping other people than it does spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are something different. They're intended to point to the lordship and the kingship of Jesus. Does that make sense to you? That's the point of spiritual gifts, and it corrects that error. Now, what may help us out to understand is what exactly are spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts are visible expressions of the Holy Spirit. Look again at verse 7 with me. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Spiritual gifts are manifestations of the Holy Spirit. The Greek word behind there has this meaning of to make visible. And so what Paul is saying is spiritual gifts are the invisible spirit becoming visible in a person. So the idea that you would have a spiritual gift that nobody sees is nonsense. That we sort of got spiritual gifts, but you don't have to know it. Nobody, nobody knows it. We never see it. It's not what Paul is talking about. Spiritual gifts make the invisible spirit visible. When the Holy Spirit fills or immerses or overwhelms a person, what becomes visible is what we would call a spiritual gift. The Spirit makes visible in a person what is necessary, where he says, for the common good. So spiritual gifts are not for you, they're for other people. That the Spirit of God comes on you for someone else. The Spirit of God fills you for someone else, for a specific situation. Sometimes it looks like having a prophetic word for a situation. You're sitting here and we're not really sure what to do, and somebody says, I just have this sense that this is what the Lord is saying in this moment. Spiritual gifts are like, may sometimes look, sometimes look like a word of encouragement. You're with somebody, they're really down, they're really discouraged, and you say, you know what? The Lord sees you. The Lord knows the struggle that you're going through. And by the time you're done having this conversation with somebody, they're like, wow, I feel better. Right? Sometimes spiritual gifts show up, they look like uh, healing in a situation. Like you pray for someone who is sick or wounded and they get well. Sometimes spiritual gifts look like a word of wisdom, that God deposits in you a word of wisdom and you speak it out and people are like, wow, that's, that's wisdom. We can, we can count on that. This is the way spiritual gifts show up. They're a, a manifestation, a making visible the invisible Holy Spirit. What that means then, at some level, is that spiritual gifts function a little bit like the pie that you're going to bring to dinner today. Right? You were invited to dinner. If you're a mom, you, you didn't have to do this. Everybody else is doing this, right? I hope. I hope. If you're a mom and you're having to, like, make dinner, we will all repent in sackcloth and ashes next week, repentance service. But everybody got invited to a space, and we're all so grateful to have been invited to this space to celebrate mom. And so in our celebration, we bring this coconut cream pie for the meal, right? And everybody sits around like, wow, that's amazing. That's a great pie. And everybody just enjoys the pie at dinner. And then it's gone. And if you want more coconut cream pie, you're going to have to go get another one, right? Some of you don't like coconut cream pie. Just imagine whatever your favorite pie is. You guys like pie, right? Okay, good, good, good. I was afraid we were going to have to have a different conversation. Um, 
spiritual gifts function in the same way. The Spirit manifests himself in a person for a specific purpose. If the Spirit of God gives you a prophetic word for a time and a space and you don't share it, it's not like you can hold on to it for a later time and speak it then. He gives you a gift of prophecy for a moment. Does that make sense? And as soon as you deliver the word of prophecy to whoever it was supposed to be delivered to, you have expressed, you have given the pie to the person that the pie was for. Does that make sense to you? I was going to use a bottle of wine, but I wasn't sure how everybody felt about that. That was my, that was my secondary example. Does that make sense? If the Lord gives you a gift of healing for someone else, right, spiritual gift, the Lord Jesus manifests the Spirit in you in healing, it's for a time and a space. It's not for just some random time. Does that make sense to you? That the invisible Spirit manifests himself in you in a visible way that you might lay hands on someone and they would get well. That's the way that works. And if you don't do it, if you have that sense now, I'm supposed to pray for you and you're going to get well. And you go, well, I'll wait till later. You can't deposit that gift somewhere else. The pie was made for today's lunch, not tomorrow's. Does this make sense to you? That probably prompts in some of you a question, hold on a minute. Don't I have the gift? Doesn't the Spirit give me the gift and it's mine? No, is the short answer. It's never yours. It's a manifestation of the Spirit for a time and a place. Some of you will go, well, hold on. You seem to have uh, some sort of gift for teaching, and you teach every week. What's the story with that? Don't you have the gift of teaching? Let me just tell you, every Sunday that I get up here, I hope you hear this when I pray, my expectation is that the, that the God of the universe will impart to me a manifestation of the Spirit that will come out to you in inspired teaching. That's the expectation. Now, God over and over and over and over has demonstrated that he gives me this gift repeatedly. But I can tell you for certain there are times that I have tried to exercise this gift when the Spirit of God is not manifesting himself in me. And some of you have suffered through that kind of teaching. Some of you have heard that. Some of you have been around for a really long time, remember the train station, and there were some lead balloons there. So over a period of time, sometimes the Spirit of God will manifest himself in a person repeatedly in the same way. But every one of those is a gift again. Does that make sense to you? That we're always, there's never a time that you're not dependent on the Spirit of God to do what the Spirit of God has to do in you for the situation. The disciples, whenever Jesus said, wait for the gift my father promised... It wasn't like they, would, they got it and now they had it forever. In every moment, they were dependent on the Spirit of God to manifest himself in healing and in words and in boldness. That's why they prayed again. Empower us to speak boldly. It's important that you understand this, that the gifts that God gives, you're always dependent on him for. What I want you to understand is that any one of us has the capacity to receive any gift that God needs to give us in any moment. What I see happen so often, so often, is people go, well, you know, I have this particular gift. I'm hospitable. So my gift is hospitality. And that's just the only gift that I have. 
And that's the one I'm going to exercise forever and always, never to have another one. I mean, can you imagine that if, like, you know, if Peter showed up, right, and just, like, you know, the Spirit of God came and, and the Spirit gave Peter this gift to, for, for preaching boldly, and so Acts 2 happened, and, uh, and, you know, people come to Christ, and then Peter's like, well, I, I guess I'd never pray for healing for anyone anymore because the gift I have is preaching. Can you imagine how stupid that sounds? Like, think about it for a minute. Like, any one of the gifts that, that the, the apostles had, can you imagine if that was the only one they ever exercised? Well, this is the one I have. No. They were dependent on the Spirit to manifest himself in them over and over and over in different ways as the situation mandated. What we don't do as followers of Jesus is come upon someone who's not well, who's hurting, who's sick, and say, well, I don't really ever have a gift of healing. We're going to have to find somebody else. Meanwhile, the person's like, man, I'm in pain. It's like, well, you know Jesus loves you, just not enough to give me a gift of healing for you. No. We are people who are dependent on the Spirit of God who fills us to manifest himself for every situation we find ourselves in. And if he doesn't do it, we're in trouble. We're in real trouble. But what we believe is that the Spirit of God will show up over and over and over again. The last thing I want you to know is that spiritual gifts are sovereignly distributed. What that means is that God gives them the way he wants. Look again at verse 8. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kind of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. The context of this passage is Paul is envisioning the gathered church, much like this. It was a gathered body of people. And what he's saying is every time the church gathers, the Spirit of God manifests himself in different people in different ways. And so he distributes today these gifts. And so to one, he gives you a gift of prophecy, and to another, a gift of healing, and over here, a gift of wisdom, and back there, a gift of knowledge, and over there, a gift of tongues, that he bounces around and gives gifts as he desires, and then next week, it'll be all different. The gift of tongues next week is over here, and the gift of healing is up front over here, and the gift of deliverance is in the back. Do you see this? What he's saying is every time the church gathers, the Spirit of God makes himself visible in each person in whatever way he sees fit. John Wimber, the guy that was credited for founding the, the Vineyard Movement, referred to it as the dancing hand of God. That the dancing hand of God, every time we gather, just shows up and he touches you and then he comes over here and touches you and he gives each one what he wants them to have. But that it's not static, it's the way that he wants it to happen. Paul's point is that the Spirit of God does this by his own desire. 
that he desires to give each one a gift. And it means at least two things, and I'll close with this thought. The first thing that it means is nobody is more or less special based on the gifts that they have. If today the gift you receive is a gift of administration, you don't have to be like, oh, unless you love administration, then you can be like, yay. We don't have to look at the person who prophesies and go, well, there's somebody special up there. And the person who lays hands on for healing and Man, they're amazing, and so I must be below them. Our tendency as people is to create some sort of pecking order, but because God gives them at his own sovereign desire, it means that we don't do that. There's no discernible way to set apart people in hierarchy based on the gifts that God gives. It's just not a thing. Which means whatever gift God gives you, in any given moment, you can celebrate because it's the Spirit of God who has given it to you. The second thing it means is that any one of us can experience any one of the ways that God desires to manifest himself in any given moment. That every one of these gifts is available at any given moment in the way that God desires to give it. Because the Spirit sovereignly distributes gifts, that means every time the Spirit of God comes... Every time we find ourselves again in his presence and filled and immersed and soaked by his presence, what we can expect is that he can show up and give us anything he wants. And we receive it with gratitude. Nobody's locked into some gift that the Spirit of God can manifest himself in any way. What I want you to understand is that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, he can make himself visible in and through you in any way he desires. And I think he wants to do that. You can pray again and again and again as I do over and over and over. I can't tell you how many times in every week I pray this prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, fill me again. Come and do it again. Whatever you want to do, I'm open to it. Use me in whatever way you want. Gift me in whatever way you want. Because this is what Jesus said about all of this. Luke eleven thirteen. 13, Jesus said, If you then, fathers, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That we can ask again and again and again for anything we need or desire. He may say no, but you can ask. Later on in this letter, Paul says, eagerly desire prophecy. What that means is that the Spirit of God might give you prophecy sometime, even if you've never experienced it before. This is what I want us to know, that if you are a follower of Jesus, that God can give you gifts that he desires to give you gifts because his expectation is to bring his kingdom increasingly through you. You are now the present day representatives of the ministry of Jesus all those years ago. And you need the spirit of God to help you do that. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed 
and we'll see you next time.